Hey ladies, welcome back to the show. I am your host, Trisha Stefankiewicz, registered dietitian nutritionist. On today's episode, we are going to be continuing our discussion on chronic diseases that affect women. On our episode today, we will talk about high blood pressure and some of the challenges as women that may put us at increased risk for developing high blood pressure. As always, before we start the show, I want to remind you that the mission of this podcast is to help women just like you, that you are struggling, you don't maybe really know where to start, or you're in this place where you're trying to become empowered to put your health first and improve your life. We can further this mission together by sharing this podcast with other women like you who you think would benefit from what we talk about on here. The further this mission goes, the more episodes that I can do to provide you with the information and kind of sorting through the misinformation out there. So I would be so grateful if you were able to share this episode with and the podcast with anyone that you think would benefit from it. All right. So before we start the episode, also, I am recording this from a phone sitting in my car after a day at work. And so I'm really trying not to go in and out with the microphone. So I don't know how great the sound quality is going to be. So I just wanted to kind of let you know that before we start. So now let's start talking about high blood pressure. I feel like high blood pressure is something that probably everybody knows about. It's just really kind of, we'll dig into some of the nuances here when it comes to some of the diet changes that we can do to help improve high blood pressure if you are somebody with it. So high blood pressure is basically, it's it's referred to many of things. It could be, you may hear it if you're clinically based, at, um, described as hypertension, or you may hear other people talk about it as being the silent killer. High blood pressure causes damage to the arteries and the blood vessels and leads to like a decreased blood flow to your organs. So typically where high blood pressure can be really, can have a really terrible impact on your health is when it has an effect on your heart and your kidneys. So that can increase your risk of heart disease, your increase your risk of kidney damage, and then also uncontrolled high blood pressure can increase your risk of stroke. One of the scary things about high blood pressure is that it's called the silent killer because you may not have any symptoms of having high blood pressure, and it may be found routinely or incidentally when you are getting your blood pressure checked when you are at your doctor's office. So when we talk about high blood pressure, what does high blood pressure mean? High blood pressure is typically when blood runs through your vessels is consistently too high. Usually when we talk about blood pressure, blood pressure is typically measured by two numbers, your systolic and your diastolic blood pressure. The top number is your systolic blood pressure and the bottom number is your diastolic blood pressure. So your systolic pressure, your top, measures the pressure in your arteries when your heart beats and the diastolic or the bottom number measures the pressure in your arteries when your heart rests between beats. And normal blood pressure is typically less than 120, the top number, over 80, the bottom number. 
So why does it matter? And who is at risk for high blood pressure? That's kind of what we're going to go through. We're going to talk about the risk factors. And then some of them are going to be like, there's nothing you can do about. And then other risk factors are going to be things that are modifiable and things that you can do something about. And then as we end this episode, we'll really dig into what you can do to help improve your blood pressure if you are someone who has high blood pressure. Risk factors for high blood pressure that are not able to be modified are typically things like we're going to talk about. First one is family history. If you have a parent with high blood pressure, you are more likely to be at risk of having high blood pressure too. Age is something that also puts us at risk for developing high blood pressure. Typically, as women, the older we get, the more at risk we are for developing high blood pressure. In men, high blood pressure is typically diagnosed like under the age of 64 more often. And then once we get to that like over 65 mark, women are actually much more at risk for developing high blood pressure. And some of the things unique to women when it comes to high blood pressure is that there's lots of different things over the course of a woman's life that puts her at risk for high blood pressure. That's unique for women and not to men at all. So that includes pregnancy. That includes being on different types of birth control throughout the woman's life. It includes menopause. And then also weight changes related to menopause or just the weight changes that happen as women. So in terms of blood pressure in women, that's why I wanted to kind of concentrate on blood pressure because I don't feel like we normally think of blood pressure as something that is women. I think we probably most people think of it in men, but there are things that happen to women, uniquely to women, that put women at risk for heart for. There are things that are unique to women that put women at risk for developing high blood pressure. And again, that's pregnancy, different birth control, menopause. One of the other things besides the ones that we've talked about is also your race. In the United States, African-Americans are typically more at risk for developing high blood pressure. And the last factor that you can't control is a history of kidney disease. So if you're somebody who is at risk for kidney disease, you may also be at risk for developing high blood pressure. Now let's talk about some modifiable risk factors that increase your blood pressure. I'm going to go through them with you the list, okay? So number one, unhealthy diet. This is a very westernized diet, especially if you're in the States. This is typically a diet that is low in fruits and veggies. This is a diet that is high in red meat and high in sugary and processed foods. Other modifiable risk factors include sedentary lifestyle, so this means limited or no physical activity during the day. Alcohol is another risk factor. This typically is like a high amount of regular or consistent alcohol intake, which can actually increase your blood pressure. Smoking, so any tobacco, tobacco use, or being in a house with somebody who is smoking causes damage to your arteries and puts you at risk for high blood pressure. Uncontrolled stress. So I know that this is probably a lot of us, especially being women, that you may be in a place that all the decisions in life falls on you. And so chronic uncontrolled stress and subsequent, maybe you're having an increased unhealthy behavior 
Chronic, uncontrolled stress and subsequent increase in unhealthy behaviors can increase your risk for high blood pressure. So I know that most of us, when we're stressed, there's very few of us have gotten to the point that we have really aced the whole chronic stress kind of deal. And so it's just really trying to figure out like how you manage your stress. Are you somebody who eats? Are you somebody that calls a therapist? Are you somebody who goes for a walk? Are you somebody who internalizes it? Just kind of having an idea of what you do when it comes to stress. And in the next section, we'll talk about ways that you can improve this. But ultimately, all of these things are going to be unique to your life. And lastly is having other diseases or not knowing your risk of high blood pressure. Because maybe you're not somebody who routinely gets to a doctor, especially during COVID when that might be something that's impossible during this time. But it's just this idea of knowing what your family history is because there are some things and some disease states that can increase your risk of high blood pressure. These are typically things like diabetes, high cholesterol, kidney disease, or sleep apnea. So now that we've talked about what the risk factors are for high blood pressure and we've talked about the modifiable and the unmodifiable, let's really dig into the modifiable risk factors and what we can do to change them in order to decrease our risk of developing high blood pressure or at the very minimum managing high blood pressure if you've already been diagnosed. So a lot of the evidence that has been done for salt intake has been based around modifiable lifestyle changes, in particular the diet. So evidence supports this use of a DASH diet, D-A-S-H, to manage high blood pressure. If you are someone with high blood pressure, then the DASH diet may work for you. The DASH diet was basically this diet that was conducted and researched by the National Institute of Health in the States. And basically, there was research to kind of figure out, like, what are some lifestyle patterns that you can do that may decrease your risk of high blood pressure? It was mostly for people who already have high blood pressure and different ways that they could do to decrease their blood pressure. DASH stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. And the key to this diet is that it's really high in magnesium and potassium and calcium and fiber. And so the pattern of this diet, it looks like high fruits and veggies, whole grains, lean meats, a lot less processed food than maybe you're already eating, a lot less sweets than you're consuming, and a decrease in saturated fats. So a lot of people, instead of eating things like butter and shortening, switching to like different kinds of oils that we know may be better for us, like a flaxseed or an avocado oil or even an olive oil. And one of the key parts of this whole DASH diet is salt intake. Because what they have been able to link in the research is that in order to manage high blood pressure, the way that you eat and how much salt you gain directly affects what your blood pressure looks like if you've been diagnosed with high blood pressure. The DASH diet, there have been benefits besides reducing blood pressure for those who have high blood pressure. Some of the other benefits of the DASH diet seem to be there's an improvement in brain health, there's an improvement in diabetes. I feel like you'll hear about DASH diet when it comes to weight loss, but healthy individuals may not need to follow this DASH diet because the main benefit of the DASH diet is to manage high blood pressure. So typically, this is going to be someone who has had a diagnosis of high blood pressure. 
And one caveat in all this when we talk about like blood pressure, you're going to hear lots of research. There's lots of people that say high sodium, lots of people that say low sodium. My guess is that depending on whatever country you live in, you're going to have different recommendations. So again, this DASH diet was a way and it was researched by the National Institutes of Health as a way to promote and reduce high blood pressure. So it wasn't meant to be for the normal healthy person that doesn't have a diagnosis of high blood pressure, okay? So you may hear people talking about these high salt different things, but know that this is for a diagnosis of high blood pressure. This is for somebody who is at high risk for developing high blood pressure. And these are the dietary changes that have been recommended and research based on somebody who has this chronic condition. So the DASH diet pattern and salt intake looks something like this. It's high in whole grains. So if you're looking at your breads, it's going to have like 100% whole grain products or it's going to be like an oatmeal or quinoa, something like that. It's going to be high in fruits and veggies. So the reason for this is because remember, we talked about the DASH diet is high in magnesium, potassium, calcium, and fiber. And so fruits and veggies contain lots of phytonutrients, and they also have a pretty decent concentration of potassium magnesium, which is one of the keys to this DASH diet. The DASH diet also does moderate fat or low-fat dairy, and so they want you to have some dairy because that's where you're going to get your calcium intake from and also your protein. And remember that calcium is also important when it comes to the DASH diet recommendations. Really, like another part of this is switching from the kind of fats that you eat from red meat to lean meats, fish, nuts, beans, things like that. Things that are going to have less saturated fat, less salt overall. But we're going to talk about salt in just a second. One of the other components of a DASH diet is that the researchers and the participants had an intake of of nuts. Typically, this was a minimum of three times a week. And the importance of nuts is that they're high in protein and magnesium and potassium. So when we talk about nuts, we're talking about unsalted nuts, okay? Because all of this is going to be in the next section is going to be focused around the salt intake. So when we're talking about nuts, we're talking about unsalted nuts. And I'm giving you a brief outline of what this meal plan looks like, but I'm not giving you recommendations for serving sizes because it just varies according to individuals. So typically, if you're a smaller individual and you need less calories than your serving sizes for these things are going to be much smaller than if you're somebody who is bigger and requires more calories, then your serving sizes are going to be bigger. But in terms of nuts, the serving sizes at a minimum for anybody is three servings of unsalted nuts per week. And then if you are somebody who is larger, having about four to five servings of nuts, unsalted nuts per week. And this isn't like a huge handful of nuts. This is like probably like just about an ounce of nuts or a pre-packaged serving size of unsalted nuts. And then limiting this saturated fat This is like limiting the intake of shortening that you're having or butter and then focusing on like poly and unsaturated fats, foods such as fish, avocados, and nuts. And then the key part of this DASH diet is managing or limiting the salt intake that you're consuming. The DASH diet plan really recommends consuming anywhere from 1,500 to 2,300 milligrams of salt per day. And again, you wouldn't need to be on this diet unless you're talking to your physician or somebody has placed you on this diet. 
because you may be, depending on your family history, you may not need to be someone who reduces your salt intake. So like anything, you would probably want to talk to your doctor about are you allowed to have salt or not allowed to have salt. And a lot of that is going to be based on your present diagnosis and your past family history. But when it comes to sodium intake, really trying to figure out ways to reduce intake. And low salt is necessary on the DASH diet. And this is because research suggests that eating too much salt will increase your blood pressure. And so if you're able to lower the salt that you take in, then you will be able to lower your blood pressure. So this idea of decreasing salt intake daily can hopefully help prevent high blood pressure. Or if you're somebody who is already being treated or on medications for high blood pressure, you will be able to improve the medication response of the medicines that you're on by following this DASH diet or low sodium diet. So let's talk about salt intake while we're talking about one of these modifiable life changes and we're talking about diet. The DASH diet recommends no more than one teaspoon of salt per day. Now this is my jam. I used to be a cardiac ICU dietitian, so I'm loving this. So feel free to DM me any questions that you have because I love talking about this. So the DASH diet, one teaspoon of salt a day is what the recommendation is. So I know what you're saying. Well, I don't add salt to any of my food. Well, typically the way that, especially in America, the way that our food is made, it's this way to make it really convenient for us. So if you go to the grocery store and you pick out some things that you want to eat that you think are healthy, and maybe they are really healthy, but if you're somebody who's watching your salt intake and you look at a salad and you see that it has a thousand milligrams of salt, well, that's really high. And so it gets very confusing because it's like, okay, this is healthy for me, but why does this have salt? And again, if you're somebody who doesn't have to worry about your salt intake because your blood pressure is normal, then that's just probably not even a concern to you. But if you're somebody who has high blood pressure, it is confusing because some things that are perceived as being healthy can also have high salt content. And that's because the way that food is preserved in the state is very, anything that's preserved uses salt to preserve it. So any, the more convenient the food is, the more probably salt that it's going to have in it. So how do you know how much salt is in food? Well, one of the things that I would do is to look at a nutrition label with any food that you consume. So if you were able to go through and look at, at whatever it is you're consuming to look at the like nutrition label and see how much salt is in there. And what you're going to do is, is you're going to look at what the first, the serving size is, and then look at the, what the salt content is. So again, remember the recommendation is no more than 2,300 milligrams of salt per day if you are somebody who is diagnosed with high blood pressure or hypertension. And then knowing that one teaspoon a day is more than you can have, right? So even if you don't add, you're going to get salt from all of the foods that you eat most likely. I'm going to give you an example of something that happens to me. So when I was going to school to be a dietitian many, many, many moons ago, I had to like put all my food into this whole like analysis program and figure out how much salt I was taking in. And we had a history, my dad had a history of heart disease or he did have heart disease. And we have a family history of heart disease, probably as most of you guys do too, right? And so I never added salt to anything, but at the time I was young, I mean, I would eat a lot of sandwiches and pretzels and things like that. And it wasn't even like, I don't know, I don't even feel like I really ate like what was considered unhealthy. 
But when I got my my daily salt content back, what I was consuming, it was like 6,000 milligrams per day. So I was young and healthy and, and I, I still don't have to watch my salt intake, which I'm happy about that. But like if you're young and healthy, that's different. I mean, you're not going to have like it's not going to probably hurt you and you don't probably have to worry so much about it. But if you're somebody who already has chronic diseases and you're getting older and you have been diagnosed with high blood pressure, then well, then that's something you might want to pay attention to a little bit more. And so my point of that story was to tell you that because I think that we all probably consume a lot more salt than we know of. And it's probably not going to be so bad unless you have a diagnosis of high blood pressure. And so whether or not you, if you are somebody who uses a salt shaker, I would probably stop using a salt shaker. But even if you don't, you may be getting sources of sodium and not even knowing it just because of the way that our food is made in the States and the way that the more convenient things are, the more salt is in the food item. So typically things that are going to have a lot more salt are going to be things like processed food. So again, anything that you consume that's processed. So that's going to be like any of your snacks or any of like your bakery items. They're going to have some salt in those. Some of the foods that are the worst culprits for a salt intake are like some breads and things like that. Now this is all based in the state. So where you live is probably going to really change the salt content of what you're consuming. And your lifestyle may be very different that you may have other foods that maybe we don't consume so often in the states that may be something that has higher salt intake. But lunch meats, cured meats, and then soup is a really big one. So if you were going to go and look at a soup container that you're consuming, right, if you were to look on the nutrition label, you would probably turn it around and you would see, okay, that soup has two serving sizes. But if one serving has 700 milligrams of salt and you're consuming both, well, that's like your salt intake for the day or or very close to it. And so always it's best to have like food and prepare it on your own because it's going to have less salt in it. Putting salt in a big pot of soup is very different than putting salt in an individual portion of soup, especially when it comes to high blood pressure. And so we've talked about this DASH diet and the benefits of it, meaning that it has the potassium, magnesium, calcium, and fiber in it and how all of those things are really good when it comes to lowering your blood pressure. And so one of the natural things to think of is like, okay, do I need to even follow this diet? Could I maybe just buy these supplements and and go from there? Well, knowing that first of all, in the States, the supplementation, so can you take these supplements instead to reduce your blood pressure? Well, I personally think that there's more of a benefit when you eat the food. So eating the food is going to give you more of, it's just, you're going to be following If you're eating the food, then you're more likely following the whole plan. So supplementation itself isn't, even if you get a little potassium, magnesium there, it's not really going to be, it's not going to have the impact of reducing the salt content. It's going to be the most beneficial in this state is reducing your salt content. And so just by doing supplementation, you're not going to be able to do that. And so I would always eat the way follow the DASH diet and you can go on the National Institute of Heart and Lung. I will put all that information in the show notes just so you can kind of get an idea if this is something that you have. But definitely following the DASH diet is something that has been proven to reduce risk of heart disease, 
the DASH diet has been something that has been proven to decrease blood pressure in somebody who has been diagnosed with high blood pressure. And one caveat in all of this too is that if you are somebody who has been diagnosed with a chronic health condition like diabetes or heart disease, if you were trying to find information, I would definitely see some kind of like dietitian in terms of when you're trying to find nutrition information. Typically, like there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I just want to remind you that like there is a role for all these different um you know, all these different people who practice nutrition. So you will have nutritionists and you will have health coaches. And that will even vary from state to state and country to country um, what those requirements are. In the states, the only person who really is qualified to give medical nutrition therapy or at least has would be able to work in a hospital to provide that information to you, like in a doctor's office, would be a registered dietitian. And that's because, you know, we as registered dietitians have a four-year degree. We have another year of just an internship. And typically, we have to follow national guidelines so that we can sit for an exam and be ready to become dietitians. People that are, you know, um, nutritionist or don't have a nutrition degree, or maybe they are um, health coaches, their education level probably varies. My guess is that there's not. Most people can get those certifications in under a year. And there are many organizations. There's just not one organization that, 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 that dictates how much education is out there. So certainly I would never knock those professions. I think there is a role for everybody when it comes to health because so many people need improvements in their health. But if you are somebody who has a little bit more of a complicated history or many multiple comorbidities, then and you have questions about your health or your diet, I would definitely seek the advice of a registered dietitian if you're somebody who lives in the States. Okay, so next, now that we've talked about the first modifiable risk factor, which was diet, next we're going to just run through some of the other modifiable risk factors, okay? So in addition to diet, the next thing that is modifiable, meaning that you can change your risk, would be exercise. So in addition to this DASH diet, there has been research that suggests if you follow the DASH diet and then also perform some regular physical activity, you're going to probably have more of an impact in decreasing your blood pressure. Current recommendations is 150 minutes per week, and that can be broken down into like 30 minutes a day, five days a week, or any kind of combination that would work for your life. So increasing or doing any kind of physical activity will be enough to help decrease your risk or help improve your blood pressure overall. Another modifiable risk factor is alcohol use. So too much alcohol on a consistent basis can increase your blood pressure, right? So if you're somebody who has high blood pressure and you're smoking, it's going to increase your blood pressure numbers. So the recommendations are for women to consume no more than one drink per day and for men to consume no more than two drinks per day. And hopefully decreasing that amount of alcohol that you're consuming will help decrease your blood pressure numbers as well. Smoking is another thing that is going to be preventable that will increase your risk of developing high blood pressure. Smoking is tricky because it 
increases your blood pressure, but it also has more damage by it like narrows the arteries and it increases your risk of heart disease too because it narrows those arteries in the heart. And so smoking is twofold in the sense that it can contribute to high blood pressure, but it can also increase your risk of heart disease. But I guess all of these modifiable recommendations could also increase your risk of heart disease. So recommendations in terms of decreasing your blood pressure would be to avoid smoking, avoid any like chewing tobacco, and avoiding any secondhand smoke exposure. And because all of that is going to put you at risk if you're somebody already who has high blood pressure to worsening your high blood pressure. And the last two that we're going to talk about is managing stress and doing routine checkups. So when we talk about managing stress, we are just talking about making sure that you have some kind of self-care that you are taking care of yourself and putting yourself first. And this just takes up, this can encompass many forms and it could be like anything that works for you. So this could be self-care, this could be meditating, journaling. This could be making sure that you get adequate sleep. This could be managing your fruit intake or your veggie intake or making sure that you are efficiently hydrated. This could include regular self-screens. This could include like talking and hanging out with your friends or family or hanging out with people in your church community, whatever it is for you. It just means like That whatever it is for you that helps you and relieves any stress that you have, just to kind of seek that out because managing your stress, however that is, is really important when it comes to all of these chronic diseases. But since we're talking about blood pressure today, it also helps decrease your risk of blood pressure, high blood pressure if you are somebody who struggles with that. And then one of the other important things about managing stress is that It's also important for you to seek out the help of a mental health professional if you feel like you are really struggling and you feel like you need a little bit of extra help. I feel about therapy. I love it. And so I always feel like I'm on my soapbox about therapy too. And then lastly, when it comes to like modifiable risk factors, having a routine checkup and trying to stay on top of them as much as you can. I think you're going to see with all of these episodes moving forward that we talk about disease states that It's going to, a lot of it's going to be diet, exercise, routine checkups. That's always going to probably be one of them. And I think that's the one that's really freaking scary. But what is concerning when it comes to high blood pressure is that because there's no symptoms, unless you're doing some kind of routine checkup annually, you may not even know that you have it. I mean, unless you go to like, you know, your local pharmacy and you get one of those like blood pressure cuffs or one of those blood pressure reads. But then even there, like you have nobody there to interpret it. So what I would say is that's kind of the value of having a routine checkup is just that you are able to figure out if you're somebody who has high blood pressure. But more important with the routine checkup is that it really is just an opportunity for you to talk to your healthcare provider about your family history and if you are at risk for high blood pressure or any other diseases in your family that may increase your risk of having high blood pressure. And so 
with anything, I recommend any changes. Like you talk to your doctor before making any changes or before making any like dietary changes, because although I can provide you with information, obviously your doctor is going to be someone who is more specific and individualized to you and has an idea of your, your past medical history and your family history. So always speak to your healthcare provider to, before you make any of these changes. But I really appreciate you listening today about high blood pressure. And I encourage you to, if you are somebody who struggles with high blood pressure, to take it day by day and just take one thing at a time and make that change. Like anything, we've talked about a whole bunch of health changes that you can make when it comes to decreasing your blood pressure. And I would say to check out the DASH diet and in particular, check out how much salt you're consuming, because that's going to be something that research has showed will help lower your blood pressure numbers if you are somebody who is and has high blood pressure. That might be a key for where you can start. So like any change, just take it day by day, one step at a time, and you know, just keep moving forward. You like any change, lifestyle change, this is these are just suggestions and it's not meant for you to do everything at one time. I think that it can be really overwhelming for people, but pick something that you can do of all those modifiable changes. So remember we talked about the DASH diet. We talked about the big part of that DASH diet, which was lowering your salt intake. We talked about increasing physical activity. We talked about decreasing the amount of alcohol that you're consuming. Stop smoking. We talked about we talked about managing stress and doing routine checkups. So pick one of those things that you can do today to help you decrease your risk of um, high blood pressure or to decrease your numbers. From a dietary perspective, I would say probably focus on the salt. That might be in terms of if you're ready to make those changes when it comes to how you eat, that might be something that gives you a big bang for your buck in terms of your your eating patterns. So thank you for listening today. We will continue this women's health episode just for probably a little bit more because as the holidays come, I want to kind of talk about some of the things that may impact you during that time. If you have some things that you struggle with that you want me to talk about a little bit more in depth, certainly reach out to me at Whole Health and Power on Instagram, or you can email me at info at trishard.com. Thanks for listening. I'm so grateful to have you here today. I'll see you guys back here next week. If you found value in this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Being a busy woman or mom doesn't mean that we have to give up on our health, wellness, or self-care. Together, we can take tiny, imperfect steps towards creating the whole health we desire and deserve. You can find us at wholehealthempower.com or on Instagram at wholehealthempower. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.